As we come to this Sunday before Christmas, I begin to look back. For many of you, you know that my other job is the role of a caterer, and this is a busy time of the year. In fact, I probably endured one of the longest work weeks of my uh, entire a year, and, uh, and it's crazy that it always gets here sooner than we think it is, right? It always gets here quicker than, than sometimes we, we want it to. On the way to church this morning, I asked the boys, hey, what are some things you want to do before Christmas is? Is, is here and gone. And uh, my, my son Luke, you know, he, he, he said in his little raspy morning voice, Dad, I just want to wrestle. And uh, don't you wish you were a kid that all you cared about was wrestling? I mean, no bills, no concerns, not even gifts, man. That kid is just full of joy. Let's just wrestle, and, and that's my Christmas celebration. But, but there's a part of me every year that gets to this point, and I feel a little bit like Ebenezer Scrooge. I feel as if at times that uh, how we approach the season, the season that's dedicated to the Lord, uh, is misused. Uh, we miss the true meaning, if you will, of all of it. You know, each year we do the same things. We, we hear the same songs. We open the same gifts. We, uh, we eat the same food. We see the same people. We decorate the same house and the same tree. And all is done, it leaves us with the same feeling. Remorse. For some, you'll eat too much and you'll be remorseful when you step on that scale. For others, you'll be remorseful in January when you open the mail and you read the credit card statements. And remorse at the end of all of the gift giving, after all of the celebration, many times, as has been documented through many a surveys, that we feel just as flat as we did before we entered the season. You know, Christmas is a time that is supposed to bring transformation in our lives. It's supposed to change the very heart of who we are. Christmas is to help us usher in the new uh, year with a new sense of expectancy, a new sense of celebration. And yet for many of us, after the 25th is done, many of us will turn the, the calendar and it will be the same old new year as it's been before. Many of the reasons why is I think we have bought into uh, the idea that it is the stuff surrounding the season that is most important. You see, many of us celebrate Christmas as if we're going to a baseball game and we only stay for batting practice, for the stuff surrounding the real reason why we would be there. For many of us, Christmas is like a, a young woman who, who goes and finds the perfect dress in the perfect size and has the perfect occasion to wear it and then puts it back on the hanger never to use it again. For many of us, Christmas is a celebration where we enjoy the peripheral things of the season and we miss the main thing. The main thing of Christmas is, has always been, and should always be the celebration of the Savior's birth in Bethlehem. That's where transformation takes place. I've experienced now 39 Christmases in my life, and I can't tell you, quite frankly, what gifts I got in the last 39. But one thing rings true. I am thankful, and I am transformed by the gospel of grace that sent a Savior to die for me. And when we remember that, when we focus in on that, we will break into song as those first characters of that first Christmas did. We will sing songs of transformation. And this morning is no different. This morning what we learn is that the celebration of Christmas isn't just an earthly thing. 
It isn't something that just impacted uh, those first inhabitants of, of humanity uh, that first Christmas. But it impacted even those who, who stood and, and worshipped in the highest realms of heaven. The angels who from the realms of glory would watch the transformation of the God that they worshipped to be put into flesh and put into a baby's body so that they might, he might do what they never would have thought of, that he might come to save humanity from their sins. On that fateful night, a night that God had determined long ago would take place, they sang a song. And it's a song that reminds us of so, so many great truths this morning that I want to take the moments we have and, and look at uh, six things. I know that will scare you, but there's no sub-points or anything. I already told you you're going to get out early, so either I'll be a liar or what I will say will be true. Six things this morning, and the first one's not even your outline, so, so write a new number one in your outline. As we look at the angel's song this morning, I want you to recognize this morning that this is a song uh, that was prophetic. It was a prophetic song. As we look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, we are told of a scenario, a situation that takes place uh, in our uh, Bibles, and what we see is the unveiling of the song. Uh, this angel song was a song that was planned hundreds, if not thousands of years before it was ever sung. God knew before the foundations of the earth that man was going to have an issue with sin that they wouldn't be able to take care of on their own. And God in his infinite wisdom, through the conversation of the Holy Trinity, God had a conversation and through their conversation, a decision was made that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, would put on flesh and make his dwelling among us. That at just the right time and in just the right place and just through the right woman, God would put on flesh, and again, he would come to be our Savior. That decision was made before the foundations of the world. The angels uh, had no idea about it. In fact, the Scriptures say they looked into such things in the book of Hebrews. It was going to be the great premiere date where the angels of God would be used to announce this new song. Well, at the end of November, there was a premiere date for what was one of the most highly anticipated albums uh, for a long time. United Kingdom singer, British singer Adele would, would announce uh, the forthcoming of her new album, number 25. And on that was going to be a new premiere song, the song Hello. And there was all types of anticipation. In fact, other musicians chose to postpone their premieres of their albums because they didn't want to be in competition with Adele because she had smashed all the records in her previous album. And so they wanted nothing to do with it. They said, just give her her own space, her own time, and then we'll launch ours in the new year because we don't want to be in competition. Well, they were absolutely right. When Adele's album came online, when you could start to download it, the numbers are absolutely astronomical. 100 million views of the single Hello took place in the first five days on YouTube. 100 million. That's 24, or 20 million album, or, uh, views off of YouTube uh, a day for the first five days. It's amazing that they had planned. They talked about how they were going to do it as movie or music producers. They would go to great lengths to anticipate how they were going to do it at just the right time and just the right moment. Here's the amazing thing. 
The song that God announces to the angels that they would premiere and would release to the world would not be released to the millions, but a handful of shepherds. It wouldn't be announced in this forthcoming because it tells us suddenly a great host of angels appeared. There was no mention, there was no billboards, there was none of that. What it was was a dark night sky in the countryside of Judea where God would announce that his son, the Savior, would be given birth. It's a prophetic message. A couple of things we need to know about this prophetic message begins in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Look to the scriptures with me. In those days, a decree went forth from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or the woman he was engaged to, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's stop there for a moment. Right away in Luke chapter 2, we are told of how the story is unveiled. And it's a, it's a story that has some curves to it, some changes to it. It's not ordinary life in Judea. We're told right away that these days take place in the times of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the Caesar. He was the ruler of the entire Roman Empire, the whole known world. Caesar Augustus was the nephew of Julius Caesar. This is a real person with a real lineage, and, and he he has a decision that is made. He wants to count every person in the entire empire. He wants to know who they are, where they're from, and he wants to make sure we have a written documentation of it. In fact, in 150 AD, that document was still being used 150 years later, uh, according to the historian Justin Martyr. He tells us that that would be used for taxation purposes. Listen, every time your government wants to count you, there's a reason. It isn't to get to know you, it's for one reason, to get money. And that's what Caesar Augustus was doing. He wanted to know who was in his empire so he could receive taxes from them. And so there was an, a decree issued that every person was to go to their hometown so that they could pay taxes to the Roman Empire. And so we're told that as a result of that, Joseph would leave from his city of uh, Nazareth, where he lived, and go to a place called Bethlehem, some 80 miles from Nazareth. Now, we're not told much about the city of Bethlehem. We are told that it's about a week's journey from the city of Nazareth. It may have been even longer uh, because it would take time to go through the terrain to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And let us not forget that, that part of uh, the, the cargo, if you will, that Joseph was going to be taken was his fiancée, who was nine months pregnant. And that's going to slow things down, and rightly so. And so they make the journey to, to Bethlehem. Now, we're not told much about Bethlehem. But we know that Bethlehem is a prophetic city, that it's spoken about hundreds of years before by the prophet Micah, that Bethlehem was going to be ground zero, if you will, of the Messiah's birth. And we're told that this census forces them to go to the city of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is a little town. We know, of course, the Carol old little town of Bethlehem. It wasn't known for all that much. In fact, it was such a small city, it only had one claim to fame, if you will. Notice it was the city of David. The great King David had his birthplace there. 
And it's amazing, uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, Noah and I and a friend traveled to Iowa, and on Interstate 80, we, we came upon a town called West Branch, and if you know West Branch, it's known for the birthplace of Herbert Hoover, one of our presidents. And town, you wouldn't know of West Branch, you would have no recollection of that place, but because a famous leader was born there, it becomes a place on the map. I, too, in the, in the town of Hinckley, come from a small town. Not, I don't make it famous, by the way. But because it's such a small town, many of you would blink by driving right through it. But if you see on the, on the way through town, at the beginning of each side of the town that you enter into, there's a sign. There's a claim to fame. You see, this week, uh, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters will be in the, in the Chicagoland area. And you'll get two opportunities to watch them play. You can watch them in a 23,000 square, or 1,000 a person auditorium called the United Center. You can watch them in the 18,000 seat Allstate Arena. Or in January, if you live in Hinkley, you get to sit in a 1,500 person gymnasium and watch the Harlem Globetrotters play right before your eyes on the same basketball court I played in high school. Why? Because our claim to fame in Hinkley is the Harlem Globetrotters in 1927 started their first game, played their first game in a little gym in Hinkley. Little towns like Bethlehem, like Hinkley, like where you and I grew up, are towns that have claims to fame that we hold on to forever. And these claims to fame uh, weren't what drove Mary and Joseph to that city. It was a census. And I want you to recognize a couple things about Bethlehem. Though it was small, God was going to use it to do great things. And what a reminder for us today, that though Bethlehem was small, God had a plan for it. And some of you this morning during this Christmas season find yourself feeling pretty small, pretty inadequate, as if God has no use for you. But I want to remind you that that little story of that little town in Bethlehem is a reminder that God takes the little things in the world and makes them and uses them for great things. And maybe this morning you're feeling pretty small, you're feeling pretty inadequate, and as a result of that, look to the little town of Bethlehem and be reminded of the great things that God has done. Notice there's also in this Bethlehem is a power, powerful symbolism. There's a symbolism to it. Notice the name Bethlehem literally in Hebrew means house of bread. It means house of bread. I don't know if there was a bakery. I don't know if, if there was uh, fields of barley. I'm not sure what it was that caused it to be called house of bread, but that's what its name was, the house of bread. How ironic is it that the bread of life, Jesus Christ, would be born in a place called the house of bread. It's by no sense of accident because Jesus was planned. It was prophesied that he would be given birth there. And so in the area of Bethlehem, we learn that it was a place of great shepherding. Again, the irony is so thick in this that the great shepherd of the sheep, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, would be born in a place that's known for shepherding, the place of Bethlehem. Bethlehem would be a place of destination because of a decree. Mary and Joseph would go because they were told to go there. And it's amazing that God decreed before the foundations of the earth that Jesus Christ would go and be born in a manger in Bethlehem. It's a place of absolute prophecy. 
And this morning, maybe one of the reasons why Christmas and the story of Christmas in the Scriptures doesn't impact you like it should is you've lost the wonder. You've lost the mystery that hundreds of years through dozens of prophets, God foretold the story before it ever would happen. And he's going to use angels to sing the song of this prophetic message to a group of shepherds, just as he had planned. It's a prophetic song. Notice next, it is a positive song. It's a positive song. Notice when the angels sing, they, they sing of, uh, of a song of joy. Notice in, in verse, uh, verse uh, 10, it says, Fear not, and behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let's stop there for a moment. Good news of great joy. What this literally means is that they shared the word that we would use, gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, what is called the euangelion, the good news. They share this good news with great joy. It's something they're excited about telling. And, and what he's literally saying, is, what they're literally saying is, we come to you with great excitement. Why? Why would they say that? First of all, notice they say, do not fear. Why is it that every time an angel shows up, they, they have to be worried about scaring the daylights out of people? Well, a reminder is, is that all throughout the Old Testament, most, most often, angels were used as a uh, messenger of judgment. They were used as armies to defeat the enemies of God. And so, when you as a Hebrew saw an angel, you'd freak out because you're like, what have I done wrong? And what is God going to do? He's going to destroy me. And so the angels are, are there freaking out the, uh, the shepherds. And as a result of that, the shepherds are now all worried about what's going to take place. And right away, they calm their spirits and they say, we've got good news. We've got good news. Well, here's the problem today in our day and age. We live in a world where there's very little good news to go around. I had a friend tell me this week, we know that things aren't good when the best news we receive uh, in the headlines in the winter is something about the Chicago Cubs. We know we've got problems if we're looking to the Cubs, and I'm a Cubs fan, if we're looking for them to give us good news in the wintertime. We've got all kinds of chaos, all kinds of trouble. We, we stare down problems and situations today that our governments and and even we as people don't understand. We don't know what to do with them. We don't have the answers. They tell us our economy's bad. They tell us that, that uh, um, our, our climate is, is changing. They tell us all these bad things that are going on. There's not a lot of good news going around in our lives, whether nationally or internationally or even personally. There's a lot of chaos in this world. But like that first Christmas, we too find ourselves in need of good news. And the angels proclaim good news, but what caused it to be good news? Again, here's the great irony of this passage of Scripture. The good news comes, listen, during a time where taxes were being collected. I don't know about you, but there's nothing good surrounding April 15th, right? You pay a lot of money. You don't think you get much in return. And here's the incredible irony of that first Christmas. While the human government was demanding taxes, God, who was rich in mercy, was giving the world the divine refund. It was giving, not taking. It was allowing us to receive, not allowing us to have to be collected from. Why was it positive? Notice a couple of things. The good news was news of peace. 
Angels uh, were always known to bring pain, but now they're bringing peace. What kind of peace? First of all, peace from God. Romans 5.1 reminds us that if you're a child of God this morning, you don't have to fear God. You don't have to wonder about your relationship with God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, Romans 5.1 tells us that you and I have peace with God. But that peace goes on because once we have a vertical peace with God, our horizontal peace then can be achieved. We can have peace with one another. You see, what what our relationship with God teaches us, what the angels remind us of, is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And because we recognize our need uh, for a Savior, we recognize that I'm in the same boat as you are. We're both sinners. We've got our problems. We've got our idiosyncrasies. We've got our selfishness. And what I come to learn when I see Jesus is it's a reflection of how bad and how troubled I am. And it's a reminder then that if I'm troubled and you're troubled, then why would I judge you? Why would I try to hurt you? Why would I try to seek revenge against you when I'm in the same boat that you are? When I look at Jesus, I am commanded to forgive as Christ forgave me. I am to overlook your sins as Christ has overlooked and and paid for mine. You see, we can have peace with God because of the angel's song. We can have peace with one another. But I want to remind you, you can have peace with the most difficult person that it is to find peace with, and that is yourself. You see, we can have a peace that transcends all understanding. We can have a peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some of us are troubled right now. Some of us are afraid in our spirits. We're worried about tomorrow. We're worried about things in our life. And and the peace that God gives through his son Jesus Christ is a peace that covers even the brokenness in our own hearts. They came to declare peace. They had a message. They came to inspire, not to destroy The angels came to tell good news. A Savior was born. And it's a Savior that tells us we no longer have to fear. Let me share with you some scriptures that maybe today, as you're struggling with with your own fears and anxieties this morning or concerns, let me share with you what the God of the universe says to you and I this morning. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. In another verse, he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall wear. In another passage, it says, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Another scripture says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The message and the song that the angels give, give us reason never to fear again. But notice, it's not just for everyone. It's also for us in a personal way. It's a personal song. Notice in the text, it says, a Savior is born to you. Not just to the world, but but to you. This song, this message is for you. Artists do a lot of writing of songs to particular people. The guys will sing those songs to the ladies that have uh, made their lives full by, by uh, being in relationship with them or, or their songs even sung when they've broken that man's heart. Uh, songs that are personal. Songs that even uh, announce the telephone number of the girl that they loved when they were young. Songs that are personal. This song is no different. 
It was sung to a very particular group of people. It was a personal song for whom? The shepherds. What, now, what, what solace can we take from this? What we need to understand is when it speaks that the shepherds who were tending to their flocks nearby Bethlehem, that those shepherds in their day were the lowest class of people. They were viewed with contempt. They were often seen as untrusted, unkempt, and unloved. The Pharisees during these days of, of Luke's gospel had said that there were six professions that were unbecoming or unworthy of religious cleanliness. A shepherd was one of them. One of the reasons why is a shepherd was not permitted to give testimony in a court of law. They weren't trusted by the, the officials of the day. A shepherd was not allowed to, to do what we've done this morning and enter into a place of worship because they had to tend to animals, and they would have to bury and, and address dead animals, and as a result of that, they were ritually unclean at, at all times. In the, in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 33, we are told that shepherding was even a, a punishment for crimes. So you were a, were a part of a crime, you were convicted of a crime. One of the ways that you might work out your hours of community service was to serve as a shepherd. Uh, this was not a very high-level job, a level that, that people would look up to. But God chose to reveal the greatest news given to man in the form of a song, highly sensitive, vitally important information. He chose to give to the, the shepherds, the least, the last, the social and spiritual outcasts of the day, the despised and the distrusted, the Savior wasn't for the ones who had it all, but the Savior was being given to them, those who had nothing at all. We're reminded in Luke's gospel that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, no matter how low they may be. What a great reminder. One of the reasons why we should praise the name of the Lord this Christmas is because though we may feel unloved, though we may feel unwanted by family and friends, maybe we feel like we are on the fringes, that there is good news of great joy for all of us to hear, that 2,000 years ago, Christ came to be your Savior and mine. Not so that you would clean yourself up to meet him, not so that you could put your life together before you became a follower, but that just as you are right where you are, by faith you could accept this message and be a child of the living God. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at on the social or, or corporate ladder, that Christ came to the lowly so that he might lift us into the heavenly realms with our Father in heaven. It's a personal song. Notice next, it's a praise song. The, the, disciple, or the disciples, the angels go on and they announce glory to God in the highest. The angels announced to us that the news that they wanted to see with their own eyes. I don't know when the angels were told of how this was all going to transpire. I don't know when they were made aware of the great Christmas story, but we know that they're pretty excited about it. They're, they're fired up about it. It says that it starts out with one, and then it turns into a myriad of angels that fill the sky, that they begin to sing to one another, glory to God in the highest. Now, we know angels have been watching human history for some time. They had watched with great uh, curiosity, when they saw God create out of the dust of the ground Adam and Eve, 
Uh, They saw with great curiosity the relationship that God had with Adam as he walked in the coolness of the night with Adam in the garden. They watched with great curiosity, wondering what God was going to do when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and do exactly what they did back before the foundations of the earth when a third of the angels with the devil as their leader fell out of heaven because of their rebellion. What would God do now with this special creation, this relationship that he had with man? What was going to happen? And they watched as God ushered them out of the garden and locked the doors behind them. They were amazed to see that God would cover their sin with some blood and animal skins. And then he would say in Genesis 3.15 that there would be one who would come, an offspring of the woman who would come into the world and would crush once and for all the serpent's head. I wonder if the angels asked amongst themselves, how is God going to do this? They watched the prophets who would come and, and exact change in some ways and in some lives, but it would seem every time a prophet would come, some change would take place and then evil would advance And they wondered, how is this chess game going to be won? How is God going to receive glory? And I don't know when the answer came down. I don't know when the the assignments were given. But there must have been great rejoicing in heaven when God said to his son, Son, it is time for you to go redeem man back to ourselves. And then the angels got the assignment. Not to destroy invading armies. Not for one to go give a message but an angelic choir to sing at the top of their lungs, glory to God in the highest. What an amazing song. C.H. Spurgeon, a pastor from a century and a half ago, once said, sing, sing, O universe. Sing till you've exhausted yourself. There is no song so sweet as the song of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. Are you singing that song this Christmas? Are you, just as the angels, so filled by the story and the glory surrounding it? Let me tell you that if, if, if there is a focus of glory in your Christmas season, it's going to do a couple things. Write these down. First of all, when you emphasize the glory of Christ this season, what you will do is you'll put Christ at the forefront, at the apex of all your celebrations. You see, celebrating Christmas with family and friends is good. Nothing bad about it. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do. Showing acts of kindness to others is good. Uh, ref- reflecting on all the temporal blessings you've had, the giving of gifts, the, the celebrations that we're a part of, those are all good. But if Christ is not at the forefront, if he's not at the apex of all that we do, if he isn't the priority for Christmas, and listen, you're not celebrating Christ's birth, you're celebrating a secular holiday. I I wish the world would change the title of Christmas to what it should be called, covetmas. You see, that's what our hearts are really about, putting down our list and, and, and telling everybody what we want. This is how you can make me happy. It could be called glory in man day. But for those shepherds and for us who who make Christ the priority, let us never forget to always have Christ at the forefront of Christmas. Make him number one. Second, we give God glory. We give God glory and put him at the forefront. Listen, when we tell others as the shepherds did of what transpired that Christmas. When we tell others about what Christ has done in and through us at Christmas. Take opportunity this Christmas 
as you're around family and friends, to remind them of the true meaning, to announce to the world around you glory to God in the highest. I know some of you are seeking a peaceful Christmas, and that may mean that you won't say this or that about Christ, but in the most loving and caring way, in the most respectful and gracious way, make sure that people know that they may be celebrating Christmas for all kinds of reasons, but for you, it's about Christ and how he's changed you. Notice this song, I've got two more points. It's a song that should be pondered. We're told in verse 19 that Mary took in all these things. She treasured them up in her heart and she pondered them. For us, Christmas should be a time that we take a moment and take in all that's taken place. I wonder if Mary, when the shepherds had come and announced, think of this, you think you're all alone. At this point, the angels have only announced to the close family and friends of Mary what's going on. Zechariah and Elizabeth knew about the coming of Jesus. We know that Mary and Joseph were aware of what was going on. But that was it. And on that Christmas day, when the shepherds came, what great uh, solace could be taken. Confirmation was given. These men they had never met before say the following, we heard from an angel. We heard from a great myriad and a host of angels that your son who is born here in Bethlehem, who's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, they told us exactly what we have come to know to be true. I wonder if Mary, as she thought of that first Christmas, she thought about the first announcement, the annunciation of, of uh, Gabriel sharing the good news that Mary would give birth. The joy she would have when she heads to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house to hear that the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb at the thought of the great Messiah who was going to be born of Mary. The great confirmation that must have come in Mary's mind when she had to have that hard conversation with Joseph. Joseph, I'm pregnant, and you got to believe me, it isn't with another man's baby, but in me is being birthed the Son of God. And the fear that Mary must have had, she must have known he was going to divorce her, because that's what a great man would do. He would divorce her. But what confirmation came when Joseph, in a dream, would be told not to put away Mary, but to take her as his wife. Confirmation upon confirmation. Two years later, we are told that wise men from the east would come and they would bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A reminder that God had a plan. And she pondered these things. In Facebook years now, uh, Facebook has given us the opportunity to look at our year in review. You all have received, if you're on Facebook, your year in review. And I was able, as I was looking at the pictures and, and, the, and the type of year that the Badal family has had through tough diagnosis and great, great works of God through surgery and all of that, I was filled and overjoyed with where God has brought us. And I was pondering as I was looking at those pictures and those posts of the good things God has done, that there is nothing impossible with God. Christmas is a season we should ponder. Finally, it's a season and a song that we should pass along. In verses 17 and 18, they say, when the shepherds met Jesus, they were promoted to evangelists. God took these rough and coarse shepherds and sent them out with the message of salvation. 
notice what they didn't emphasize. What they didn't emphasize was the appearance of angels, what they looked like, what they sounded like, or, or what they did. They didn't talk about their fear. Oh, we were so scared, and, and, and we were thinking this, and we were thinking that, and, and, and you know, Johnny the shepherd over here, he was behind a rock, but I was like super ninja shepherd, and I was ready to take him on. None of that. There's none of that. What it says in the text is that they only shared concerning this child. Their story was all about Jesus. They made known to all, and people marveled. The story of Christmas and the season of Christmas is our opportunity to tell others of how we've met Jesus and allow others to marvel at how this baby's birth has changed our lives. Let's remember who these shepherds are. They're real men who are crude, rough, and tough. You probably wouldn't want your daughter dating one of them. But here's the thing. People would start to listen to them because their lives had been transformed. They knew, those around them knew that the shepherds had been a part of something great. And they marveled at what the shepherds said. Let us make this celebration of Christmas a celebration that we pass on to others. This last weekend, uh, a uh, very famous movie was bringing out its newest edition. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen on Facebook and I've had in conversation uh, the joy of a, of a Star Wars fan telling you why you have to go see the movie and why you should anticipate it. Why do we have so much advertising as Christians for the things of this world, which are wonderful and great? Why are we not sharing the greatest news ever given to us, the changed life we have in Christ Jesus? Let's pass that along. Let's share that in generous ways to others so that others may be transformed as we've been. It says that the shepherds then left and went back to their lives, but they would never be the same again. You see, they experienced a song that would tell them the celebration of Christmas. And it was a song that as they go back to their lives, that they would never be the same. As they return to the daily activities of life, their lives would never be the same. So let the Christmas song today impact you, not only in January, but in July. Let it change your life and let it be a song that resonates in your heart now and forevermore. Merry Christmas to all of you. I'm going to close our time in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to help me close our time as we end this service in song. But let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we once again come to grips to a very famous passage of Scripture. Let us be reminded of its truths today, and let us join with the angels and the shepherds as we proclaim the good news of your birth. We have five days before this season is done to share with those around us why we celebrate Christmas. Lord, give us the boldness to do so for your name and for your glory. Lord, keep us safe during this time that as we go, we would be ever mindful as Mary was of all your blessings and all your goodness to us in this year and that we would treasure those things, not the gifts under the tree, not the food at the table, but the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, let us treasure that in our hearts. And let us be transformed and changed, not only for the rest of the month, but for the year to come. We love you and we praise you for it. Now, Lord, let us lift our voices in response to this in song. 
that we would join with the angels and the shepherds in saying glory to God in the highest. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we give you all the glory. It's His name we say this all. Amen.